0: You need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. Uh, The price for a single semester is crazy affordable for anyone, so check out the links in the description and use promo code REMNANT to get 10% off Kairos Classrooms. Check out Kairos Classrooms today. Discount code R-E-M-N-A-N-T REMNANT to get 10% off your semester. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the wonderful world of REMNANT Radio. In today's program, we're answering your questions. We're doing some live Q&A. It's going to be fun. Stay tuned. You are watching The Remnant Radio, a show where we tackle history, theology, and the gifts of the Spirit. My name is Joshua Lewis. I'm the pastor of King's Fellowship in Ada, Oklahoma. Together with my friends Michael Miller at Reclamation Church Denver and Michael Roundtree at Bridgeway Church OKC, we set aside time every week to discuss the gifts of the Spirit. Things like, how should we pray for the sick, and how do we interpret tongues, and should we believe all the prophetic words for the new year? If you're looking for a charismatic podcast with practitioners who are actually doing the stuff, this is the show for you. Okay, guys, we're answering your questions, or at least we're going to try to. Uh, Miller does not like Q&A. He prefers Q&R, questions and responses, but nobody knows what that is. So I can't put it in a thumbnail. Anyway, we're going to try to respond to your questions. We don't know if we'll have the right answer, but we'll, we'll aim to it. So if you want to uh, drop a comment into this video, just write question or maybe a Q and then put your question next to it because sometimes you guys like to debate each other and talk in the comment section and we can't figure out when you're talking to one another or if you're asking questions of us so please do that and we'll be able to respond to those as they come in i also want to remind you that remnant radio is entirely crowdfunded so if you want to support the channel you can do that in the links of the description you can give a one-time gift on paypal or a reoccurring gift on patreon so it's five bucks a month to get access to extra content if you choose to give on patreon and maybe you're new here and you're like uh this channel seems awesome well go ahead and hit that subscribe button because we're almost at a hundred thousand Subscribers and frankly, Miller over there in the basement, his life will be completely fulfilled if he can be a part of a YouTube channel that has a hundred thousand subscribers. He told me that just earlier today. Uh, anyway, guys, how are you doing? Are you excited uh, about what is happening with this thing? I, I swear, I'm trying to select this button. There we go. <laughs> and that's what happens when you do live programs. Uh, Miller, your uh, life will be fulfilled when we hit hundred thousand subscribers. That's what you said, right? Is that those are your I, words? Yeah, it's
1: suddenly it has meaning whereas before it had none. No meaning in the basement.
2: <laughs> no meaning. Brownie, well, are you? I'm doing good. I mean, look at look at this background, guys. What Josh did to my background. I just Josh comes over to my house and then suddenly it looks so much better. Uh in contrast, look at Miller's background. Just go ahead and show that.
0: Wah, 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 What a it's basement. Blue. What it's a basement. blue. It's all
2: blue. Just like Miller, I,
0: I, was <laughs> I was
1: given the suite.
2: What's that? I was given the suite. The basement suite. That's that's how your that's how your wife sold it to you. Just just yeah. go to the basement. It's a suite. That's right.
0: <laughs> anyway, let's dive into some questions because you guys yeah. keep talking trash with each other's backgrounds. Um, let's. Uh, we already have a bunch of questions coming in. Oh, I like that the, they're pouring this in is a lot. I think this, they're.
2: I think this Q&A has been building
0: up, man. Like, people want to know. They've got they've got <laughs> some stuff lingering. There was a couple questions that were asked uh, on the YouTubes and the Facebooks uh, that I feel like we should probably try and answer first, just because they answered it before we got into our live, or asked it before they we got into our live uh, video here. Uh, this one is from our friend Elijah. Hey, guys. I generally lean towards the view that Christians have been baptized into the Holy Spirit when they believe. However uh the one point for those who believe uh in a second blessing uh that still trips me up is this it's in the gospel i remember this i remember this comment earlier it says jesus baptized or jesus breathes on his disciples Uh, which is always taught as them receiving the new birth. Uh, then later they're baptized in the Holy spirit. If all believers receive the baptism of the spirit, when they believe, why, uh, does it seem to separate in this case of the apostles? So, uh, the question assumes that when Jesus breathes on them, they receive new birth. And when I was in a classical Pentecostal tradition, that was what was taught. I think it's John 20 verse 22. He breathes on them and they receive the spirit or he says he breathes on them and says, receive the spirit. Um, Anyway, how would you guys respond to that since I read the question and let one of you guys uh, jump on it?
2: Yeah, Uh, I mean, I can start. So, I mean, first of all, I think that uh, I believe that the new birth uh, applied not just uh, to post resurrection, but also pre resurrection in the old covenant. I think that circumcision of the heart speaks of that. And so uh, and so I believe that's what awakens our dead hearts to God. And so I believe the new birth applies to both uh the Old and New Testament, Old and New Covenant. I don't think that speaks of a new birth for them and uh I, th- I think they were all they were already born again. And uh Jesus seems to rebuke Nicodemus for not understanding these things. And so uh I don't think it's that and I would say I mean scholars tend to suggest that this is some sort of like uh, preview of pentecost if you will that um like the full the full thing is coming in acts chapter two but here's a little down payment just to kind of give you a a a taste of what's to come uh something like that is probably how i would understand john 20 um so uh miller what would you say um i still don't know
1: exactly what it is that's happening in john 20 uh i know that that john is retelling the creation of man you know so you got genesis one god creates uh by speaking and then you've got john one uh you know basically telling that the the that christ that jesus was there with god in the beginning and so it ends with the breathing on man in the same way that god breathed into man and uh in Genesis. And so I, I, tend to think that there's a parallel going on there. Now, what exactly is happening? I don't know. Cause like Michael, I also believe that the new birth could be both, um, old covenant and new covenant. It's the giving of the spirit that is distinguishing between the old and new, not necessarily new birth. Um, so yeah, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure, uh, what it is. I don't think it's the giving of, um, well, how do I say this? I don't think that it's proof of second blessing um, to, to use that passage to say that, uh, see, the disciples, they were already born again, and now they're giving the Spirit a little bit later. Uh, I, I think this is has more to do with God and what He's done now that, now that He's accomplished. Um, forgiveness of sins, resurrection from the dead, and new life in Him, the promise of resurrection, uh, and then the giving of the Spirit for empowerment.
0: Yeah, the action of Jesus doing something in the Bible, uh, like declaring something in the Bible, and it coming to pass at a later moment, isn't that uncommon, right? Like, um, stones won't be left upon these, that doesn't happen until later, when he says, uh, to the tree, curses the fig tree, it dies later that evening, um, he, he declares things and then they come to pass. So when he breathes on the disciples and says, receive the Holy Spirit, it doesn't mean in that moment that they were receiving the Spirit. He could have been declaring something that was going to happen at a later moment. Secondly, we know that throughout the prophets uh, of the Old Testament, um, the inauguration of the new covenant is the pouring out of the Spirit. Uh, we see that paralleled also in Joel chapter 2. Uh, Peter says, this is what you're hearing, right? This is the promise of this new covenant, the Holy Spirit. It's for you and who are all far off who believe, right? So what was happening in the old covenant in John twenty isn't what's happening in the new covenant uh, in Acts 2. So making sure that we keep those distinguishing markers separated is actually helpful for this conversation. So uh, when I look at the word baptism of the Holy Spirit, um, in, in in connection to second uh, well, in, in 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 connection to First Corinthians chapter twelve, uh, those who are in the body of Christ have been baptized in the Spirit, right? So if Joel two, he says, wait till you be baptized in the Spirit. Or I say Joel two in Acts one, where he says that the, Jesus would come and baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That passage that's being referenced, um, you know, from John the Baptist uh, that Jesus is referencing in Acts, Acts one. Um, I think that that. Uh, is clearly talking about the new birth experience. So uh, the inauguration of the New Covenant happens in Acts 2. Uh, they're born again. They're they're this kind of new and better covenant. They were saved in the Old Testament. They were deemed righteous by faith, just like they're deemed righteous by faith in the New Covenant. But there's something extra. There's something more that happens on that day on Acts 2. So, uh, yeah. so when, when, when just, I look at jo- uh, John 22... said
2: something a little different from what Miller and I said. Because Miller and I both believe the new birth applies to old covenant as well as new covenant, but you you believe new birth happened at Pentecost for the very first time.
0: Yeah, I I would Uh, say that that you are deemed righteous in the old covenant, but I would say that there is something distinctly different about being born again in the new covenant. Like maybe born again isn't the right language, um, but there is the new covenant is better than the old covenant. There is a life in the spirit that you're brought into that's different than Old Testament. Yeah, believers. I think
2: the big difference is the Holy Spirit. Oh it, yes, yes. Uh, is the increased presence of the Holy Spirit the, in the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I'll give you a helper; he'll be with you uh, or in you forever. And, uh, and so it's the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit that I think marks the, the major difference between the Old Covenant and New Covenant. The Old Covenant written on letters of stone, the New Covenant written on tablets of human hearts by the Spirit of God. And so um, anyway, so I would say born again, in the old covenant, because I I don't see any other way that somebody can love God if they're not born again. However, and I think that's part of Jesus nature of his rebuke with Nicodemus. Uh, but I think that the Holy spirit makes it all next level. Um, so it's not that we're saying anything a million miles apart, but we probably should pause and just kind of even maybe further unpack baptism of the Holy spirit. Um, and, and second blessing theology, this idea that like you, you receive the Holy spirit, um, or, or you you receive like a second blessing of the Holy Spirit whenever you maybe pray and tarry and wait on the Lord and repent of all your sins. And after a while, and you get this second blessing, and you speak in tongues and all of these things, and you have more power in your life. Uh, so, first blessing being salvation, second blessing being this extra empowerment that comes later. Uh, there are some evidences, uh, like in in the Book of Acts, where the, for instance, the Samaritans are saved and then subsequently receive the Holy Spirit. That's the strongest one. Yeah. And, uh, and of course the disciples, they were saved while they were walking with Jesus, but, uh, but then later, uh, received the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. And so those are the kinds of arguments that people make. And there's, uh, uh, there's also Acts 19. It's a bit complicated, but, um, yeah, if you guys didn't have a million questions, I'd, I'd get into it, um, uh, more deeply, but, We also, I think the thing that we have to contend with is that Acts chapter 10, uh, when the gospel goes to the Gentiles, the the baptism of the Holy Spirit happens precisely at the moment of conversion, not sometime later. And we have to ask ourselves, was the Samaritans and the Jews experience normative where you were saved and then subsequently baptized in the Holy Spirit? Or is the Gentile experience normative where salvation and baptism in the, Holy, in the Holy Spirit happens simultaneously. I would argue, and as would everyone on the show, that the Gentile experience is the normative experience, that we are baptized in the Holy Spirit at precisely the moment of conversion, that these happen simultaneously. Earlier, Joshua you proof text 1 Corinthians 12, 13, for we were all baptized in one spirit into the body of Christ. So the baptism in the Holy Spirit is not the extra second blessing. It's that which incorporates us into the body of christ at the moment of conversion that's paul's teaching to the corinthians Um, and so we have a cross reference suggesting that the gentile norm uh experience is normative but also within the book of acts itself um the the way sam storms talks about this is there was this sort of a historical redemptive time warp that both Jews and Samaritans were living through because uh, the the Samaritans were the northern tribes of Israel. There were unique circumstances relative to Jews and Samaritans as God was restoring these tribes of Israel. Uh, But with the Gentiles, this this was sort of like, this was the new way. The gospel's going out to the nations. And Luke tells the story in Acts chapter 10, then he tells it again in Acts chapter 11, then he tells it again in Acts 15. And then in Acts nineteen, when Paul asks, "Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed?" he asks it as though he expects it, like he normally expects you to receive the Spirit when you believe. Or uh, in Acts 8, in Acts chapter eight, when it's talking about the Samaritans, it says, uh, "The Holy Spirit had not yet been been given when they believed." He says it as though like it's a, an explanatory mark, like this is unexpected, and so. Um, a number of textual reasons why I think uh, the Book of Acts supports that. So I would say we're baptized in the Holy Spirit at the moment of conversion, and then we can. But the filling of the Holy Spirit that that can happen at con- conversion. That can happen second, third, fourth time. Paul's filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts nine and thirteen. Peter's filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts uh, four, or Acts two, and then twice in Acts four. So, you can be filled and refilled and refilled. So, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the filling are not the same thing. But I've talked so long, I'm going to pass it to Miller or Josh for you guys to explain the difference between baptism and filling.
0: Miller, you want to do that? Or I'm trying to share. Nobody can hear you. I don't
1: know what Miller's doing over there. Yeah, he is like trying to talk. Um, I was just saying, these are like full length long episodes if we were going to cover these topics. So, um, if you'll notice that there's, uh, with the word filling of the spirit, that is not a new Testament or, or new covenant only experience. You find it both in the old and the new covenant. And every single time you usually, well, uh, 90% of 95% probably of the occurrences of the words filled with this spirit, you'll see a person giving some sort of prof- prophetic proclamation to Christ, to who he is and what he's done. Um, And usually in the face of a hostile audience, though, not always. So, you know, when Jesus says, hey, don't plan what you're going to say beforehand when they bring you in front of the Sanhedrin for the Holy Spirit will at that time give you what you need to say. And so this literally what happens, you know, uh, Peter happens to him, I think, three times. Paul, it happens to him, I think, three times. It happens to all the disciples in the upper room. Uh, at Pentecost alongside the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And, and the problem is people tend to equate those two terms because you see them both happening simultaneously uh, between Acts 1 and Acts 2. And he says, you know, John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with spirit not many days from now. So they go and wait uh, in the upper room. And then in the same uh when the spirit falls on, them, it says they were filled with the spirit. So you've got both of these things happening simultaneously, which is why people would conflate and confuse those two terms, though they are different. And, uh, the filling of the spirit again is an old covenant as well as new covenant experience. Yeah. Um, so, so that's my thing. best summary stay, as quick as possible.
2: One more thing. If you say that you had a second blessing experience that radically changed your life, just want to say, I mm-hmm. validate your experience. Yeah. I just, I wouldn't call it the baptism of the Holy spirit. I would say you were filled with the Holy spirit but I'm not going to quibble over details. And I will completely affirm that you had a massive experience with God that changed your life and praise God for it. Yeah. And for those, uh, let me me ask
0: this last note on that with when it comes to um, having more of the spirit, for those of you who um, haven't had that experience and you're like, well, I've been baptized in the spirit. I don't need any more of the spirit. I used this object lesson with my church recently and it it clicked for a lot of people in a good way. I think, Um, you know, God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. Right. Uh, But, but he's also, in Israel, right, in the Old Testament in a way that he's not in the rest of the world, and he's specifically in the tabernacle in a way he's not in the rest of Israel, and he's specifically in the holy place in the tabernacle, like he's not in the rest of Israel or in the greater part of the tabernacle, and he's kind of on the Ark of the Covenant in a way that he's not in the Holy of Holies or in the temple or in the nation of Israel. So there's subsequent more measures of the Spirit that are manifest in the Old Testament in different and various ways. Um, and for the Christian, we need to pursue the Spirit, not to terminate on its own. Like, not just like we need the Spirit for the Spirit's sake, but because the Spirit attests and points us to Christ. The Spirit um, extols and, and, and worships and uh, proclaims powerfully the message of what Christ has done for us on our behalf. So we need more of the Spirit in order to glorify Christ all the more. So uh, when we say, hey, you've received the Spirit in your baptism of the Spirit when you got saved— That's not us saying stop pursuing the spirit. That's actually uh, us just trying to clarify theological terms. Um, Anyway, uh, what what was your? Do you have a question that you wanted to ask, Michael?
2: Oh no, I I was just. There are an overwhelming number of questions in this chat. So many. So we could just maybe start one. Yeah, we start from the top here. Not we're not necessarily going to go in order here, guys. But here's Angela D. She says, "Best practice for pursuing the gifts in a more closeted church." Or maybe three or four all ladies who would be eager to start this so um miller why don't you take that what do you think uh
1: when she says closeted church she means like we the this church is one that's not expressing the gifts openly and publicly is that right that's right
0: i think we'll, that's what we'll we would that. assume i don't think that okay, she's being affirming
1: <clears throat> yeah no i know what that <laughs> i i think the concern for me <laughs> would be um when somebody asks that question it's because they're quite practically in that church and so i want to be very careful um if the church leadership is cessationist i, I just don't think you can find yourself staying there and practicing the gifts um because then you in some ways you, you'd be undermining uh, the leadership and direction of the church which you don't want to do you know you want to you don't want to do it in a hidden away corner you want them to know and give approval to. What you guys are doing, Um, if it's in a church where they believe in the gifts, they're just not ready to express those publicly. Uh, They still have a lot of questions, and they're still trying to understand that. I think best practice would be to be very honest with your pastor and or elders about where you're at with the gifts and how you'd like to experience those things, and ask them first and foremost what's an appropriate way that I can practice these things. Um, My recommendation would be a home group of a sort uh, where you know you you're. Um practicing first with hearing God and prophecy. Um, And the reason I'd say that first is because that's the gift we're actually told to pursue above the others. You know, three times Paul will say desire earnestly spiritual gifts. And then one time he'll emphasize prophecy above the others, um, with the intention that it it be edifying for the whole body. When one person gets a prophetic word in your community, um, if it's done in a group setting, everybody, even if they're not the one prophesying or the one on the receiving it uh, the prophetic word, will be edified just knowing that God spoke. Uh, that he is real, that he is active, that he knows the secrets of our hearts. And so um, we do this at our church. We have like, you know, the hot seat where we'll put somebody who's either new to the group or somebody who needs some comfort and encouragement and we'll have a chair and then everybody will just take turns uh, praying for that person and just listening to God. And, you know, we give guidelines, like try to be concise. If you're being long-winded, oftentimes you can move into advice giving and that's not prophecy. Um, So that'd be my encouragement.
0: Bandaba. Next, I'm question. trying to answer these questions. Oh, fast. I think it's good. Yeah, let's get <laughs> through it because there's a lot said, of them coming Josh, in.
2: Was that tongues? Bandaba? Yeah. Okay. Tongs. Okay, we've got Gabriel who says, How do I joyfully pray for healing when my anticipation and faith seems so often let down by no healing? Uh, you know, that's a good question. I mean, Jesus himself says in uh, John 16 24, Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be complete. So he's talking about the joy of answered prayer. Uh, and so it seems implicitly less joyful to not have the answer to prayer. Uh, man, I don't have like a tremendous answer, except I will say, I, I think it's important that we maintain this tension that in theology we call the, the the already but not yet of the kingdom. And so there's there's the not yet, the kingdom is one day going to be fully realized and everybody's healed and everything's perfected and everything's wonderful, etc. Uh, but the kingdom now, as we get a down payment of this in the meantime, uh, in Paul's language for it in Romans eight is the first fruits of the spirit. So we just, we have the beginnings of it. We have the appetizer. We're waiting for the entree. And I think that's really important so that we don't have an overrealized eschatology that tells me I should have it all right now, as long as I have enough faith and not too much sin. Uh, these people are perpetually disappointed and frustrated because they expect it always to happen now, 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 now. And it turns into this sort of microwave Christianity. But then you have the not yet people, and they put all the emphasis over there, and they just kind of go through life with no real expectation of answer prayer ever. And there, there's no joy in that. And so, uh, and so we want to keep and maintain a healthy tension between the two. Um, but just on a sheer boots on the ground practical level, Uh, Sometimes, you know, I just come back to the story of praying for 10 years for my wife to be healed of glaucoma, and uh, uh, there were really three conditions I've I've been praying for. Now I have two remaining ones. I don't know why God chose to only answer the one, but after 10 years, he did answer that one. Doctor said there's no sign of glaucoma here, and she'd been going to the doctor for that last 10 years for the glaucoma, and so... Uh, the Lord finally answered the prayer, and it happened um, the month after. I got a few prophecies from people, some people telling me that the Lord was going to heal my wife, and then, uh, and then secondly, it happened after like a this wave of desperation really hit me, and I just cried out to God, like I like I just said, God, I'm so frustrated. Like I, so I would say, like with your frustration, actually bring your frustration to God. That's what the Psalms model. Amen. When you see Hezekiah's healing. Um, Isaiah 38, among other places where it's told uh, the the Lord says to him, I have seen your prayers or I have heard your prayers and I have seen your tears. Therefore, I'll add 15 years to your life. I don't think that means we manufacture emotions. Uh, that's that's not a good thing. But I, I do think that like uh, we, we sometimes have to let ourselves feel the actual desperation and frustration and then bring that to God. So prayer rather than being this sort of performance of like, uh, okay, I'm bringing my best prayer before God. And I know you're not suggesting that. It's rather just like, man, am I just fed up and frustrated that this hasn't been answered Then just bring the full force of that. Maybe throw a little fasting in there too. Uh, the, those are, those are some things you can do, but man, I'd also say it's just a very human feeling to be able to feel frustrated and, and, and fed up, but you can bring that before the Lord. And, um, I don't know. There's a there's sort of a, a cathartic effect to to just crying out to God in frustration. you mentioned joy, um, Paul says that we're sorrowful yet always rejoicing. And so I, I think there's this effect that it has for my soul when I just I I let that desperation come to the surface. So that's,
0: here's a that's question about faith and healing. I think we can answer pretty quickly. Uh, sure. Set free says, and I don't know that he's actually heard us say these exact words, but he says I've heard you say that you don't believe that healing is God's will for everyone, but how can you have faith to receive healing since it's probably, uh, so it's a possibility that it's not his will for him? I think for them maybe is the way that, that should be reading. Um, so to, to respond to that question real quickly, we actually don't say that it's not God's will to heal. Uh, often we'll say that it is God's will and it is purchased in the atonement, but when do we get the purchase of that healing? Um, so when we pray, we don't pray with faith of outcome. We pray with faith in a person. I trust God. I trust his character. I trust his nature. I I trust his disposition to heal the sick. Um, So when I come into a prayer, I'm not praying just for, I have faith, I have psychological certainty that this person will be healed as I'm praying. But as I'm praying, I'm trusting a God who is good, who is faithful, who has displayed his power time and time again in my life and the lives of people around me. Uh, through the scriptures, I read that he heals the sick, he casts out demons, he raises the dead. So when I gather around in prayer, my, prayer isn't, um, my faith isn't terminating on an outcome. My faith is terminating on a person. So I think that we have to redefine the way that we're talking about faith outside of a typical word of faith context. And say that it's not what I'm I'm hoping for that my faith is. It's who I'm hoping in that my faith is directed right. towards. Would you guys add yeah. anything to that? Yes, perfect. Yeah, oh, and no, go back and watch our
2: episode on called "The Two Wills of God for Healing." Uh, it really explores that issue, and I think it's really helpful. Um, I th- I think it I think we want to come to God with the expectation for healing. That's that's how we want to come. And I my motto is I I pray with the assumption God is going to heal this and wants to heal this until he tells me otherwise. I think that's what Paul models in second Corinthians 12 with his thorn in the flesh, whatever that was. Uh, okay. Let's uh, tackle another question. What, which one do y'all want to handle? You want me to just pick one, Josh? I mean, that's oh, an one the next an in Lonnie Phillips. I'll read it. We had someone speaking in tongues as we were praying over someone after he was done speaking in tongues. Should we have asked for an interpretation? All right, Miller, what do you think?
1: I I think it entirely depends on the context. So uh, I may pray with my wife, and I may pray in tongues for some of that, but I'm not always necessarily looking for an interpretation. Though sometimes my wife gets interpretation and she'll offer it. Um, So the context in 1 Corinthians 14 has to do with a church gathering where you have people that are unbelievers or people who are uninformed about gifts present. And so in that environment, if somebody's going to speak in tongues, you absolutely should get interpretation and give interpretation. Uh, or don't speak in tongues. Do it quietly, you know, between you and the Lord. Uh, but in a small prayer group setting where everybody is informed about the gifts and there's not unbelievers present who are going to think you're crazy, um, I think you're you're okay uh, not having an interpretation. So the, the big thing that Paul's trying to... Uh, warned against is people thinking that you're mad and getting frightened because it actually is frightening. I mean, I, I was at a church where they used to sing in tongues on the microphone and 1,500 people would be there. And uh, I didn't want to bring any unbelievers there because it would terrify them. And that's really not an attitude we should have. We should feel safe to bring our unbelieving friends with us, even though there are some weird things that happen in church, like we you know partake of communion every week and we believe that God's presence is really there with us. And um, so th- there's already enough weirdness in our own uh, church practice. We don't need to add more to it by having tongues without interpretation in that environment.
0: Amen. I would agree with that. Uh, I got a question for Roundtree. I think this is up his alley uh, because he likes to lay hands and commandeth things to happen. Uh, that's a joke. Uh, I think it's is it Chibothy? Is that how you pronounce that? I I feel like <laughs> I can't be right. Anyway, uh, yeah, the it's... question is: Can I draw out uh, or activate someone's gifts by praying, commanding, or laying hands? On a consenting Christian, so obviously they're not asking about the non-consenting Christian that you're declaring and laying hands on, uh, but the consenting <laughs> like Christian. Away. Can I give them spiritual gifts <laughs> as long as they consent? Uh,
2: I I think you can pray like okay, so asking, commanding. When it comes to healing, I think you can ask or command. You have authority. You can command a mountain to move. We see Jesus. Uh, commanding illnesses and infirmities to be healed throughout the new testament i think commanding is fair game in that sense when it comes to impartation of spiritual gifts i don't think commanding works there i don't think you can walk up to somebody and say i command you to be an apostle or i command prophecy to stir up in you or i command you know you to have a teaching gift i i don't i don't think it works that way Uh, i mean I, I don't know scriptures. I'm thinking, uh, I, I just don't see it modeled that way. Um, Paul does say to Timothy, he talks about a gift that is in you through the laying on of, of my hands and he associates it with prophecy. I think you could prophesy like, Hey, I, I believe the Lord is saying that he is imparting to you a gift of discernment of spirits. And so Lord, I just pray for discernment of spirits to rise up in this person and so on. Impartation really is a thing. Um, I would stay away from commanding and more requesting, asking God to impart a gift. But um, Paul says in Romans 1 that he longs to impart a spiritual gift to them. Uh, I already mentioned uh, Paul telling Timothy, speaking about a spiritual gift which is in him through the laying on of my hands, he says. And so uh, and so I definitely think that is worth pursuing. Um, and, and, and I would also say, I mean, so I'll, I'll, I'll even say this so like uh, in June we're scheduled to interview Jackie Pullinger, who is amazing. I I don't care. I'm going to ask her to pray impartation over me. It's going to be over the internet cuz she's in Hong Kong. But I'm going to be like, "Pray for me, Jackie. Give me what you got." You know? Like I I'm all over that. That's that's great. And I've asked that kind of thing many times. Hey, would you pray for me uh, when when John Piper and Mike Bickle uh, we're, we're in town for, uh, Sam Storm's retirement along with Jack Deere. I asked for impartation prayer from all of them. That's just an interesting mixture of impartations there. Uh, Obviously
0: that proves that it doesn't work. Next question. Okay. Ouch. Uh, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs>
2: good one. That's good. All right. So, um, I think the other thing I would say is that where I, f- I, think impartation works the best is when it doesn't mean it can't work in other scenarios but particularly where there's established relationship and uh and a discipleship relationship like elisha receives impartation after a long period of time of following elijah around same with moses to joshua same with the apostles and jesus and so i think there is something to be said for discipleship process. So, so when I had asked Jack to pray for me for impartation, I'd actually asked him long before I ever asked Bickle and Piper who did not ever disciple me. But when I asked Jack, it was years of discipleship later, like Jack, would you pray an impartation of your teaching gift for me? And I I think, and I'm not saying I received that from him. I'm simply saying, I I think I see a, a pattern of, uh, in scripture there. So I think, ask impartation from anyone at any time if you if you want the gift they have. Uh, but I think there's a special confidence we can have when the person has discipled us. So that's my take.
0: Cool. I think there is a quick question that we can answer. This It's an interesting question. Um, uh, in your church the three of you pastor, uh, do the majority of people fall backwards and do you have catchers? Um, <laughs> this is not part of our culture. Uh, it's not to say that God couldn't do it. It's not to say that if you know, Miller prayed for someone they wouldn't fall over. Uh, we don't have catchers at my church, and I'm pretty confident there's not catchers at Bridgeway or at Michael Miller's church. Uh, that's not to say that if uh, that started happening, that they wouldn't mobilize people to go catch people. I don't. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that. What What are your thoughts on that? I Miller. I don't personally think. Don't mock. <laughs> don't mock. Okay.
1: I don't personally think there's anything to be gained by falling down. Uh, I, it has happened to me once where somebody prayed for me. They never touched me. Me too. And yeah. I, I, remember, I remember like just feeling this odd sensation. Like there was hands on my shoulders, and I'm looking down going, there's nothing there, but I'm going down. And, and that's, uh, that was it. And I got right back up. Um, now, I've prayed for people, and they've fallen down. Oftentimes, though, the kind of falling down is usually when I'm kicking out an evil spirit, and they they don't fall backward. They just hit the ground. Um, so I've had that happen on a number of occasions. Um, but uh, again, I don't think falling over is any kind of sign of spirituality. It's just, uh, I think it is quite normative in scripture that when the presence of God is there and power is present, people's knees will knock and shake, people will fall down um, and they may encounter God's presence in a way that, um, you know it, it's, it's this idea of who can stand in the presence of God. And I think there is such a thing as God's manifest presence. Um, but again, I don't think anything is to be gained by the falling over in and of itself. That's and no, good. we have no catchers.
0: Yeah, no, none of us have catchers. I think that's... We just let, let them hit their way head way. on the ground. That's the way that we would all <laughs> right. answer But I will tell you question.
2: this, when we had Ken Fish visit our church in, in February and he started going around laying his hands on people and people started falling down... We didn't appoint catchers, but catchers began to assemble when they saw a pattern. So,
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, a, bunch of, a bunch of elders are looking around at able-bodied men in the church going, you look like you can bend over. That, that's your job now. Um, <laughs>
2: so, uh, you guys actually let us know in the chat because uh, I, I have a friend who is co- trying to compel me to uh, for us to sell in our merch store. Uh, <laughs> no. Remnant Radio oh. Slankets.
0: So it, that is, it, is the <laughs> blanket it.
2: that you put over someone who's slain in the spirit.
0: <laughs> i told Are you interested them I thought it in this would be, It would be received as mocking by our. Josh brothers. is
2: concerned it would be received as mockery.
0: I think it's hilarious, but almost, almost because we're charismatics and we have fun with it. Like we can we can enjoy that. We can make it, fun of ourselves. We've all yeah, fallen. Yeah, I think we we've all fallen. Right. Like that's been a thing. We don't want we're not, we're not to
1: unnecessarily it. offend or hurt right. people's feelings on that particular topic, especially those who come from a background like AG, where that's pretty common standard practice
0: yeah 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 okay so let's uh let's get into this one I think this is a good one for Michael uh, quite a uh, tree you're both Michaels uh, so, uh, sometimes it's hard for me to have confidence to say that I function in the gift of prophecies since I don't feel mature in it any advice for cultivating confidence in owning your gift
2: yeah definitely I mean the big word is practice repetition uh, Paul again telling Timothy 2 Timothy 1:6 to fan into uh, to fan in the to flame the gift god, bleh, can't talk the, fan into flame the gift of god that is in you so um, so think of it like a spark you know it starts a, a little spark can become a bonfire if it gets enough oxygen and, and can spread but it always begins as a spark and spiritual gifts are typically that way i mean think teaching uh, nobody starts out as an amazing teacher uh, nobody starts out as, uh, as an amazing anything. You you practice, you work, you get there. And so I would say practice. Uh, Romans 12 says to prophesy according to your faith. And uh, I always say, and I got this from John Wimber, but uh, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. Where in the Bible does faith not involve risk? Peter has to step out onto the water. And so I think that the implication there is that prophecy is a stepping out of, it, it's a not just an implication, it's a, it's a statement. Prophecy according to your faith. A, you actually have to step out in faith. That is, in, uh, by its very nature, a risk. And so I would say, uh, just begin sharing. What I used to do is I, I'd get my prayer list. When I'd be praying over names on my prayer list, I'd just be trying to listen to God for the people I was praying for. And if I heard something, I would call them up or send them a text and, and share that prophetic word with them, and it kind of started to make me feel a little bit sharper. And um, sometimes I've, I've made goals for myself, like every time I'm at a gathering of believers, I'll prophesy, or uh, even when I'm out in public. Okay, I'm going out in public, gonna prophesy over the cashier or the waitress or whatever. I still do that all the time. So uh, you, you got to practice, or you can't get you can't get very good. And uh, and the more you practice, the more confidence that you build. So that's what I would say.
0: Uh, I got a great question in here about conferences. I feel like I'm allowed to talk about this. Michael literally cut me off sure. mid-sentence. If I'm not allowed to talk about it, uh, when is the next Convergence conference with Sam Storms, or is that never happening anymore? Uh, well, I don't, I, I, I don't know about. I can't talk about Convergence conference, but I can say that there's probably a Remnant conference this fall. Am I allowed to say that, Michael? You can say that much. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, and- I can't. I can I give dates. Yeah, We've got a number so of okay. conferences. 14 through 16, Guys, 16, 14 through 16, do not miss it. Mark it on your calendars because when we release the conference, it's going to go quick. We we packed out our last one very quickly. So uh, 14 through 16, make sure that your calendars marked off because when we kind of release ticket sales, you want to snatch that up quick. Uh, first come, first yeah. serve kind of thing. So uh, anyway, all that to say... Uh, that's coming up. We do have other speaking engagements as well that we're going to have listed on the website. Uh, and that's uh, in
2: OKC, by
0: the way. That that one, uh, the, the, the conference in Bridgeway. Oklahoma City at Bridgeway Church, uh, 14th through 16th. So you kind of understand like, of where that is geographically there in September. That's right. 14th through 16th. Anyway, um, we also have uh, a conference that we're going to be doing, the three of us, at, at, in Wisconsin and one in Anaheim. Do you, one of you guys want to uh, talk about that? Miller, you talk about Anaheim and I'll let Roundtree talk about Wisconsin.
1: Yeah, sure. So there's, a, I mean, three different churches that are sort of coming together. They're, um, one of them being the new Anaheim Vineyard uh, and another one where uh, I guess uh, Carol Wimber goes to this church, John Saladin's church. And then um, I'm not sure the other church that's going to be involved in it, but three churches that are sort of coming together to host the three of us at their church. So we're going to go out there probably a little bit earlier, take our kids to Disneyland and and then hopefully have some fun, and that'll be August, what is that, 10th through the 13th? It's the second weekend of August. Yeah, August 10th yeah. through 13th, and yeah. then um, I know we've
2: got one in Wisconsin. Rountree, you could probably talk about that one. Yeah, uh, on Alaska, Wisconsin, Shane Holden's church, and it's a, uh, yeah, so we're gonna, we're gonna be there, and yeah, um, that's October, it's the weekend of October 22nd. I can't remember, it's like 21 to 23 or something like that. Uh, but it, that one's actually going to be the Friday through the Sunday. And so uh, anyway, so we have that uh, that conference too. That one's going to be a deliverance conference. I'm not sure we've even decided what the other conferences are going to be yet, whether prophecy, healing, deliverance, or what. So,
0: If one, uh, one anyway. of us is prophetic, we'd let you know. But uh, anyway, all that to say that <laughs> we... Uh, we need to get back to some of these questions. That was a, a What about Toronto? Break. Is,
2: is, is that sure. still going to happen?
0: Uh, well, I think we're was, out of
2: time in the fall, but it'll probably happen in the spring.
0: Yeah, there was a conversation huh. about Toronto going up to a Bible school up there that was going to be exciting, and we'll give you more information on that if it ever pans out. Um, okay, so here's a question from Anna about the tongues. Uh, I was taught tongues as a teenager at a hyper-charismatic conference, so I rejected it not to... Uh, truly the gift, but sometimes when praying, I get the urge to do it, uh, does that mean I? it could be genuine? Thanks, guys. Um, here's a really interesting, and this has nothing to do with the question about tongues, but I think it relates. Uh, the Augsburg Confession talks about baptism. Nothing to
1: do, but it relates.
0: <laughs> I think it relates. Uh, the Augsburg Confession talks about baptism, and the question uh, for the Lutherans uh, and others in the Protestant Reformation was asking the question about sinful priests, and the question was, Is the baptism in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit really a baptism if it was done by the hands of men who don't have the right theology about justification or they were sinful in their practice, uh, whether it be sexual immorality or selling indulgences or any of those kinds of things? uh, Is that baptism a legitimate baptism? And their response in the Augsburg Confession was yes. Um, That experience can be a real experience, a real act done by the hands of God, even though it was done through the means of sinful men. And they actually referenced the Old Testament and the Old Covenant where the priests were offering up sacrifices to the Lord. Even if the priests were sinful, the sacrifice was still received up into the Lord. Um, So I would say uh, even if you had a legitimate charismatic experience under the leadership of someone who was sinful or someone who was doctrinally in error, it can still be a true divine act of God supernaturally. Um, So that's how I would kind of advise when you have experiences, tongues, true faith, you know, true repentance, you really believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Um, that gift, even if it was happened in a, in a place that, that wasn't super orthodox, um, I, I still think can be a, a real gift of the Holy Spirit. What would you guys say to something like that?
2: I agree. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel stupid every time I speak in tongues. I really do. I'm like, oh, Lord, this is just weird. And now, And there are times when I speak in tongues, like, because consciously I'm just like, I'm going to speak in tongues now. And I have that practice every every day, all the time. But uh, but I just tell the Lord, okay, well, just receive it. This is I, I'm praying. So uh, there are other times when tongues just like comes over me, and just kind of explodes for me. That's usually when I'm having a really uh, maybe like a power encounter with the Holy Spirit of some kind. Uh, that's that's not all the time. Um, and so, I, but I would say either way, I think that um, it could totally be the Lord. And I think it's really easy to talk yourself out of it. Cause it does sound crazy. I mean, it sounded crazy to them in acts too. So it sounds crazy to us when we, when we even do it ourselves. So, uh, I don't know. I, I think probably I, I might just, uh, I don't know, maybe just be too self-conscious. It just sounds weird. But, uh, anyway, so I would say go for it. Speak in tongues. That would be my thought.
1: Yeah. I, I thought I was speaking gibberish for a long time. Uh, Man is my computer frozen, guys?
0: Your face is frozen.
1: Ah, well, you can still hear me. That's fantastic. Um, <laughs> yeah, I thought I was speaking gibberish for a long time and then uh, uh, I actually had somebody understand what I was saying in Portuguese. and I've had that happen multiple times. Uh, so I don't so much question it today, but for the for a large chunk of my early tongue talking days, I did question it and thought it was gibberish. so
0: okay, Michael, while you call back out and then call back in so that you unfreeze, Uh, I will ask this next question from Jordan Scott. Jordan wants to know, are there any clear, immediate signs of receiving the Spirit in your opinion, or do we have to look for the changed life uh, down the track? Uh, This question really comes from Second Blessing Doctrine that says you receive the Spirit of salvation, uh, and then within Second Blessing Doctrine, you receive the Holy Spirit. Next, that usually comes with an additional doctrine called Initial Physical Evidence, that you know that you're saved because you have faith in Jesus. And you know that you have the second blessing because that is usually signed with the gift of tongues. Uh, However, we would deny that kind of, uh, I hope that we're still live, guys, because I just, uh, I might have lost Michael Roundtree as well. You're there with me, Miller. That's good. Um, Anyway, uh, Uh, all that to say that uh, there are... Are there clear, immediate signs of receiving the Spirit? Uh, the large, the long and short of it, I would say is, uh, yeah, the, the sign is faith in Jesus. That's evidence that you've received the Spirit. Uh, when it comes to being empowered by the Spirit, I would point you to Ephesians uh, chapter 5, which says, don't be drunk with wine, but be being filled with the Spirit. It's a past, present, participle. It's a it's a continual act and action of being filled and being encouraged with the Spirit, being empowered with the Spirit, and, and putting yourself in places where you're dependent on the Spirit's power. Michael, did I lose you too? Maybe it was my internet that was acting up. I wonder. Uh,
2: yeah, you lost me for a minute.
0: <laughs> okay, so. man. Well, I apologize, guys.
2: Yeah. Well, I, I forgive you. Uh, you. All right. Well, let's do it. another question because I, I missed that one being off. So, uh, yeah. The, the question was really,
0: is there any initial physical evidence? Is there any evidence that you would say about being filled with the spirit? Uh, that was the question. I would yeah. agree with well, what
2: Josh said completely. Yeah, uh, even when we talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit, there's different versions of it. Um, uh, in Acts, it's the filling of the Holy Spirit. Miller talked about this at the top of the show. It's the filling of the Holy Spirit. It's empowerment for witness, and uh, and so you see this. And uh, I mean, in Acts two, they're declaring the wonders of God, uh, but it, but it's empowerment to prophetically testify about Jesus and. Um, but if you look in Ephesians, the when he talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit, the expression of that is more in corporate worship, uh, singing songs, uh, hymns, and spiritual songs, or psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Like That's the expression of being filled with the Holy Spirit, which then continues in to, uh, uses a bunch of participles like singing, and then it feeds into, I think it's Ephesians 5.21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then he talks about, wives to your husbands and bond servants to their masters and um children to their parents and so on and so uh and so for paul there, filling of the holy spirit it's a, it's a different greek word than uh, than luke uses but for him filling of the holy spirit there it's evidenced by a life of praising jesus and living a holy life that's what it looks like for paul uh And then if we go old testament bezalel is filled with the holy spirit uh exodus 35 uh, is filled with the holy spirit and i think chapter 31 also for the sake of artistic work on the tabernacle and then the judges are filled with the holy a couple of them filled with the holy spirit for beating people up uh (laughs) uh bad guys that is for sure bad guys um, we're not going to get into all that, but anyway, it kind of depends on which book of the Bible we're talking about. But basically, the Holy Spirit he empowers, and um, and so yeah, I, I don't know. I just kind of walked through some of those. I, I now I kind of forgot the question, guys. Help Got me a out. great
0: question what? from Lonnie while you're trying to remember the last question that you just answered, which is man, that's that's upsetting. Uh, I can't wait to be old <laughs> like you, good. Michael, and not be able to remember this. what I'm talking about mid sentence. Yes, anyway, it's, it's, I'm old, bro. Lonnie asks. Lonnie says, even though uh, in Acts both men and women have the spirit poured into their lives and are empowered to prophesy, are women given the spiritual gifts to serve in the office of pastor and elder? This is a question from Lonnie. Uh, personally, we uh, on the show, I think I can speak for all of us on this subject, and y'all can correct me if you disagree. Uh, we look at the gift of pastor uh, as a charismata, as a gift listed in Ephesians 4. We uh, would be just like all the other gifts in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, and we'd say that all of God's people are empowered in all of the charismata. We would just encourage, with maybe, maybe the exception of apostle, we're kind of up in the air on that one. Uh, when it talks about the gift of pastoring, we have no problem with uh, God empowering women to uh, facilitate in that spiritual gift. Uh, the, the area that we would disagree is that you're calling pastoring an office, where we would say uh, that pastoring is not an office, it's a gift. Eldering and deacons are are the offices of the church, an elder and a deacon. So those do seem to be reserved for men. That's how we understand it as complementarians on the show. Uh, we've done a lot of episodes on that. I would encourage you maybe to go watch out our series on egalitarianism and complementarianism. I think the, the series might be called Women in Ministry. And then we did an episode on the fivefold gifts. Are they personality types? Are they gifts? Or are they offices? Those are the two episodes I would point you to if you want a more thorough answer. Uh, do you guys have anything you would want to add to that?
2: Yeah. Well, and then Acts 2, it's really not about pastoring at all. It's about prophecy. In the context, he says, Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I'll pour out my spirit and they'll prophesy. So it's talking about receiving revelation from God. And then sharing that revelation, so 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul talks about women prophesying, uh, has some instructions about head coverings in that context. But uh, point being that that this is about the democratization of the spirit and of the ability to prophesy as a result of that. I think that prophecy, it is a spiritual gift, so there will be some who are proficient in it, but any believer... Can hear from God and share and share what He's saying on any occasion. Most of the spiritual gifts work that way. uh, Giving financially is a spiritual gift. Some people have the gift of giving, but we're all called to give. Some people have the gift of evangelism, um, but we're all called to evangelize. The same is true of prophecy. Uh, All of us can hear from God, and um, you know what? When I was a cessationist. I accidentally heard from God a few times and dismissed it. And it wasn't until later where I realized like, oh, oh yeah, that was God. Like God spoke to me in dreams and stuff. I just dismissed it. Guarantee you there's some cessationists listening to this show. God has spoken to you prophetically very powerfully because your cessationist position didn't prevent the Holy Spirit from being the Holy Spirit or God's word from being God's word. And he still does what he does. So chances are you probably have heard from God in some of those ways, but maybe what Job says uh, applies to you. God does speak now one way, now another, though man may not perceive it. So uh, anyway, so there, there you go. Those are a few thoughts. I think Acts 2 is most, is more about prophecy than it's about pastoring.
0: Amen. Yeah, I got a question, I think, for Miller from Troy Black. It says, any tips for sharing experiencing, uh, experience-based knowledge about spiritual gifts that really doesn't have a lot or any biblical base? Or do you think we should just stay away from it completely when teaching? I'm asking Miller. Because Miller often experiences things that aren't in the Bible. I'm just kidding. Go ahead, Miller. Yes.
1: No, it's true. I, I think it we is. all do. Uh, I went to youth group for several years, never found it in the Bible. Uh, I
0: experienced youth sorry.
1: Sorry. Uh, okay. So here's the thing I would never build a doctrine off of experience. Can I share my experiences and in hopes that it'll help others make sense of things? Absolutely. Like we do this with most gifts. Um, because the scriptures aren't necessarily entirely clear about how the uh, how all of that is to function, um, but I would I would say again I wouldn't make dogma out of it, and I would often preface with the statement, "Now this is anecdotal at best," uh, what I'm about to share, and so take this with a grain of salt. So anytime I'm about to present something that is uh, experience based but not scriptural based, I say that on the front end so that people ha- can make their own informed decision on it, and if they have scripture to to then support or back. Um, awesome. Um, But I I usually won't create a dogma out of it, but I don't mind sharing my experience as anecdotal evidence.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really a key thing for, you know, we use the label of being word and spirit. Um, I think that's a distinctive of it is that we don't, uh, to be word and spirit is that we have such a high view of scripture that we won't teach any sort of practice or anecdotal, any sort of experience is being on par level with the scripture. We don't want our experience to be authoritative. We want the, we want the scripture to be the highest authority that evaluates every other experience. And so uh, now on that, there can be scenarios where you experience something that it's like, I I'd never seen that in the Bible, but there's not, there's not, there's nothing, denying or affirming it in the Bible. It just happened that way. And so I, I totally agree with the way Miller approached that. I just preface it. Uh, so
0: good Amen. good job, Miller. I think we have good time job. maybe for two more questions. I've got two lined up that I think we could do. Uh, Matthew says, what are your thoughts on uh, John's statement about being baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire? Luke 3, 15 through 18. Uh, Matthew, we've done a program on this at one point in time. I can't really recall what the name of that show was uh there are split scholarship opinions if i go to logos bible software right now and i pull up every commentary that i have on luke which is a couple i mean i think it's in in the teens maybe um anyway when i pull all those open it seems like half of them half of them are on one side half of them on the other side the two real debates is the baptism of the holy spirit and fire is that there are two separate kind of uh well one is that the that baptism of the holy spirit is a purification fire for believers Um, The others say, hey, in context with Luke, it seems as if this baptism of fire is for the unbeliever because it says in Luke, uh, you know, he's winnowing fork is in hand, you know, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. He's going to gather, you know, his his people up into his barns and then he's going to burn these others with unquenchable fire. So the Holy Spirit's come or Jesus is going to come to baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And those two contexts is those that are his people. They get the Holy Spirit and those who are the chaff they're They're getting baptized with fire. Um, I actually lean towards that interpretation. My understanding of baptism of the Holy spirit and fire is that the Holy spirit is what believers receive. Uh, and the baptism of fire in Luke chapter three is actually judgment. That being said, I do not make a big deal about this to my Pentecostal and charismatic brothers who are like, Hey, uh, you need to receive a baptism of fire, um, because it'll cleanse you and purify your heart. I think the Holy spirit can do that. I just think it's semantics. And I think they're probably not using that text correctly. Uh, how would you guys interpret this? I mean, we might actually disagree on this, which would be, I think perfectly fine.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, that's a good interpretation, Josh. Um, I, I, mean, I think given the, the background in Luke, it's hard not to think, uh, you know, with, with John saying, um, you know, speaking of fire and burning chaff and all of that, it's hard not to think of it as having judgment as part of the context. Uh, but then we also have to think about that. Jesus, he's going to mention John, and John's prophecy about baptism and in, uh, in the Holy Spirit and and in fire, he won't quote the fire part, but uh, in Acts one, but he he references that whole statement uh, in Acts one, and then in Acts two, when the Spirit falls, what's over their head? Tongues of fire, and so uh, and so. What does that mean? Does that mean they're being purified? Does that mean that they're being judged? You I mean what does it mean? Probably the tongues of fire in some way is parallel to the tongue speech that they have. But, but more than that, and there's evidence of this in uh, it's first Enoch. I can't remember which chapter, but uh, uh, it's a couple of chapters actually where, uh, where he sees now, I don't believe first Enoch is part of the Bible, but he, uh, but it does inform how a Jewish person would have thought. And he sees a vision of a temple made of tongues of fire. And then he sees the holy of holies made of tongues of fire. And so when there are tongues of fire over their heads, um, it's it's like God has created his new temple, his new holy of holies. So when the spirit is poured out and uh, not in the Jewish temple, but it, the wind fills the house. And so it's like God is establishing his new temple and then he fills people. His new temple is people. And I think that we can still maintain, Josh, that judgment Idea with fire, because it's like they have the fiery judgment over their head, but they're not touched by it. They're preserved through the judgment because Jesus was consumed by the flame of judgment on the cross, but then three days later rose again, and now he makes us um, not consumed by the judgment of God, so we can enter into the fiery judging presence of God and not be consumed by the fire. And so I I think that it probably has to do with judgment, and that's kind of how I would probably articulate it. I don't know. Miller, what do you think of that? Or Josh? Uh, Miller, you're you're still muted, buddy. I'm sorry.
1: Uh, Every time. Yeah, I I had never heard that bit about uh, 1 Enoch, so that's kind of interesting. Yeah, I I think it could be a number of different things. Um, I tend to think of fire as judgment, because then, yeah, again, Luke's usage of it. So...
0: Okay, so I've got uh, another question from Alex. This is kind of a multi-part question. Alex Ryan asks, he's a friend of mine. uh, He says, I often feel self-serving, praying for healing, uh, and struggle discerning between respecting God's sovereignty and feeling a lack of trust based on never seeing a physical healing help, I guess. Uh, So uh, here, uh, there's two real questions. One is, is it self-serving, and how do I wrestle with this idea that like, when... I see someone get healed, like it's going to make me feel good about myself and like it's going to be a good thing. But then there's this other side of like respecting God's sovereignty and having a lack of faith because you haven't seen a lot of healing. So it's kind of trapped between a rock and a hard place. Uh, Miller, you pray for a lot of sick people. How how do you wrestle with all that? Um, Well, I I think the thing is, is our hope is always in in Christ,
1: that not that he's going to heal us right here and now, but that he will heal us and it's in the resurrection and the life to come. And so there's a lot of things that I do, whether I see results or not, I always evangelize, whether I see somebody come to faith or not. Um, and I always pray for the sick, whether I see someone come get healed or not. And so I, I, I think I'm, you know, comfortable with resting in God's sovereignty and that, that he's good and that he loves us and that he cares for us. And I've often found that the act of prayer in and of itself shows God to be good, comforting and caring through the people of God being good, comforting and caring. Um, and, and that is true whether they get healed or not. When so, when you pray for somebody, that's an act of humility and vulnerability because it recognizes, uh, A.W. Tozer, I think, said that, no, no, it was Charles Spurgeon that says this, that when a person prays, it says two things by the very act. It says, I am not God because otherwise I would not be praying to a God to get my prayer answered. And secondarily, it says he is God because I wouldn't be going to him uh, in prayer if he wasn't. And so I think the the... The goal is not to see the healing. The goal is to love people, and that really is what our ambition is. Uh, now, I definitely want to see people healed, um, uh, but that's also because I actually care about the people I'm praying for. Or at least I want to care about them. I don't want to care that care about them all the more as I become more and more like Christ, God willing. So,
0: yeah. So uh, I think there's I don't never. Know if I answered I, the I, question. I like, Did Miller, I? Miller Miller talks about this a bit in, in some of his uh, his talks that I've heard him do. Um, that that idea that you're never going to have pure motive like if you're waiting for something to be completely pure before you do something you'll be waiting forever um just because we've been corrupted by sin to to such a really really tangible way so when uh when i get up to preach there is this thing in the back of my head that loves the applause and praise of men right like that's there and i think every pastor has to wrestle that with that and we have to repent of that we have to we acknowledge okay lord my heart's sinful like help me you know like i I don't, I don't want to enjoy, you know, uh, this like, like I want to enjoy laboring with you, but I also don't want to like take credit, you know what I mean? For, for saying this nugget or t- teaching this, like, this is your truth, right? Like I'm just sharing it with them. Um, mm-hmm. so there is a real reality of like having pleasure and participating with the activity of God. Like that's an exciting thing that we get to participate in. That's super cool. Uh, but at the same time, not taking credit and responsibility for that. When, when God does something pretty spectacular, uh, I don't think that you're ever going to you're ever going to get to the point where uh, you're going to have zero uh, pride or zero selfish ambition uh, I think that what you have to do is acknowledge that you have that when it arises and then repent of it as it comes uh, but if you if you wait you'll never do anything that God's commanded you to do so that's how I would say Just go after it and then as you detect that stuff happening in your heart you know, repent of it as it comes um, uh, Roundtree do you have anything you'd add to that? nope he's like it's five o'clock and my mic's muted so i'm done uh michael are are you there bud nobody can hear you your mic's muted what what
1: oh there he goes it just popped in again
0: yeah you popped in i got you
1: i think i have tech
0: issues is what it is no, I think so we should I think probably I turned you off because you're fuzzy. Anyway, guys, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Runner Radio. Hit that subscribe button, share this video around, and make your friends who watch this video hit subscribe too. Because we're almost at 100,000 subscribers, and we would all feel complete inside. Uh, If we hit 100,000 subscribers. Uh, Anyways, guys, thank you so much uh, for tuning into this episode. We want to see you at those conferences. So if you live in Wisconsin or you live in, uh, I guess, Anaheim, around Anaheim, California's a big place. I can't say if you live in California. LA. LA. It's a big place. Uh, And then uh, we're also going to be in Oklahoma City at at the uh, Remnant Conference, the 14th, 15th, and 16th. You guys should go check that out. It's going to be bananas. Anyway, uh, more links like that coming in the future. Blessings, hugs, kisses. Bye-bye. Wanna thank Kairos Classrooms for sponsoring this episode of Remnant Radio. And if you're out there,